Hello, and welcome to Regeneratively Speaking, a podcast brought to you by the Wake Forest Institute for Regenerative Medicine in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. I'm your host, Bonnie Davis. In each episode, we bring you interviews with guest researchers and our own institute faculty covering the latest cutting-edge research in this exciting field of science. Uh, In the podcast studio today, I have Dr. Shiva Ayadore. He is a world-renowned systems scientist, inventor, and entrepreneur. He has been a Fulbright Scholar, Lemelson MIT Awards finalist, India's first outstanding scientist and technologist of Indian origin, a Westinghouse Science Talent Honors Award recipient and a nominee for the U.S. National Medal of Technology and Innovation. His CV is like 10 pages long, front and back, so his accomplishments are much more uh, varied and impressive than what I've just uh, announced. Um, But we don't have time for that, so we're going to jump right in. Uh, Dr. Ayadore is also the inventor of Cytosolve, a scalable computational platform for modeling the cell using dynamic integration of molecular pathway models. This technology draws on the principle that nature's intelligence is decentralized, and while we might expect the nucleus to dominate the cell's function, the work itself is done on the periphery of the cell in the membrane. And I really want um, Dr. Ayadore to take a few minutes to like explain what that is and and what this company is doing and and how it um, how it would be involved with regenerative medicine. Sure. Um, so you know I've had a, a a fortunate experience to build large scale computational systems since I was a kid. Um, in fact, I did some of my earliest work when I was 14 years old in a medical school, where I was doing you know work on understanding how babies were dying in their sleep. This was back in 1978, applying computing to medicine. And so when I was in that medical school, I also learned how to integrate uh, communication systems. Some of you may know in the old days they had this thing called the inner office mail system where every secretary write this thing called a memo or mail. Right. I was asked to convert that to the electronic form. Mm-hmm. I wrote 50,000 lines of code, called it email, and got the first U.S. copyright. The reason I bring that up was that was in the physical world. You had these little units of people creating knowledge, which mm-hmm. was these memos and documents, and the idea was how you would com- connect them together. That's really email. Email's not simply text messaging, but it's a system. So fast forward, um, when I went in and out of MIT, one of my deep interests was in medicine because I was fascinated um, with the notion of doing personalized medicine because Mm -hmm. everyone's body is a little bit different and how could you find the right medicine for the right person at the right time. In 2003, the opportunity came because medicine was taking this new um, approach because it recognized that we're not our genes. The irony of the genome project that ended in around 2003 was it revealed that we have about the same number of genes as a worm. We have about 20,000 genes. Wow. Yeah, so what makes us different is not the genes, but the products that the genes create and how they interact, and we can turn on and turn off genes. So that gave rise to the field called systems biology, but more importantly, the need uh, to uh, model the whole human cell or complex biological processes on the computer. Mm -hmm. This was one of the grand challenges of the National Science Foundation, so I came back to MIT in 2003. And when I saw this, I didn't see it as a biology problem, nor did I see it as a computer science problem. I actually saw it as a engineering systems problem, no different than little knowledge engineers back in the 1970s, these secretaries working in their little areas and how you were gonna connect them. In this case, the secretaries weren't secretaries, they were biologists right. who were actually doing research and they're actually publishing 
knowledge, which we call peer-reviewed papers. Right. So if you take some field like Alzheimer's or cancer or some biological process like regeneration of tissue or apoptosis, you could think about thousands of scientists all over the world are working on little pieces, like those knowledge engineers, publishing knowledge. And that knowledge is very specific to certain aspects of biology. So the issue is, could you create a technology without trying to do it all together because it becomes intractable to extract knowledge from those papers, which are fundamentally little chemical reactions, convert them to models and create a technology that would allow all that to be communicated in a decentralized way. Right. So in some way, cytosol wow. was the ability to connect molecular mechanisms, just like email was a way to connect these office communications together. Yeah. So that's what cytosol is. So it's a very powerful way, which people thought was impossible to do, on the computer to model not just small mechanisms, mm -hmm. but m infinitely large-scale um, biological mechanisms. And that's what we uh, did around 2003 to seven. published a lot of papers. Mm -hmm. And starting in 12, we've made it a, a real, it, uh, very much like what, what's going on here, what Tony Atala is doing, mm -hmm. where he, it's not just gee whiz, he's actually putting it into patients. We're actually using this technology to work with major industries to create new combination therapies. Wow, yeah. that is Yeah, so really that's what cool. we do. That's incredible. I My brain is like, processing that and thinking, mm, <laughs> I'm not that smart, but that's great. But, but the simple use of it is, if you can think about, is that, you know, when we eat food, um, it's a combination of many, many chemicals. Right. Today, the pharmaceutical models, you have a single compound. You spend about 13 to 15 years going through preclinical, you know, in a, in a test tube and then on animals, and then you do clinical trials. It's a very long process. Right. And that's only for a single compound. What can you model food? It can't, that process. Here we can handle combinations uh, or cocktails of chemicals and understand how they synergistically work together to alleviate certain problems. That is really fascinating, and uh, that, that's been a, uh, a lot of what you've been here at the Institute talking about with our folks today. Yeah, right? and I think there's a wonderful collaboration because what's uh, going on here, which we don't do, is in the hardware world, what Tony and uh, Tala and his team are doing is they're actually modeling um, the uh, organ systems, mm -hmm. you know, organoids on a chip. Right. And we have the ability to work synergistically with that because we can, in software, understand combinations of molecular mechanisms across organs, predict combinations of, um, you know, compounds that could work together, mm -hmm. and then you literally go to the organoid organ on a chip before you go to humans. So you're basically creating a whole new model for drug development. That is really, really cool. Or new medicine development. Yeah. yeah. I think that's, that's going to be really revolutionary, I think. Yeah, because the way we create medicines right now is still about 100, 200 years. It's an old model. It's right. a medieval model in some ways. Right. Compounding drugs. Compounding in, drugs, yeah. single compounds. Right. You know, testing. In a t it's sort of like shooting in the dark. Right. This approach lets us not shoot in the dark, but get much more honed, much more refined that's exciting. That's exciting. Well, let's move on to um, just some more general questions so our uh, our listeners could maybe just learn a little bit more about you and how you approach uh, life. So, you know, like what kind of core lessons um, have you learned throughout your life and um, how have you been impacted the most by those? I think one of the uh, big core lessons that I've learned is that it's really important not to shoot for perfection, 
but to jump in and start doing stuff with your hands and actually building stuff. Mm -hmm. And when you build things, you actually learn. You know, be it when I was a kid building that first email system, you know, I had learned some programming, but the opportunity to take on a big problem and build things mm -hmm. is you'll learn. And similarly, when we take on our entrepreneurial work with Cytosolve, we actually start wanting to talk to customers right away. We know we may not get it perfect, but when you're working in the real live world, it's no longer theory. And um, because you have to solve problems that um, you would never think about if you were just isolated in a lab. Right. So one of my big things is what today we call translational research is really working with the end customer or the end problem far sooner because then you have to solve a whole bunch of integrated problems versus just solving little pieces. And I noticed that the lab here does a lot of that. So one of the core lessons is dive in, jump in, you know, work with the end customer sooner than later. Right. Right. So what would, along those lines, uh, what, what would be like one of the biggest risks you think you've ever taken in your life uh, professionally and how did it turn out? Oh, uh, I've taken a lot of risks. You know, I, I'm, I'm sure you have. I don't know if you know, I'm also running for U.S. Senate uh, in well, Massachusetts. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah. I did. So the oh, reason I, the, I bring that up is I, I think that if you are true to science, or true to inventorship, mm -hmm. uh, you cannot stay out of the way in the public policy area. You know, when I was in, right. I went to India on a Fulbright scholarship, and I was recruited by the Prime Minister of India to run one of the largest innovation centers. And I noticed a lot of ways in which the scientists in India were not being supported. And I wrote an article that went, un, went all across India, and I was under death threats, had to leave India, oh and goodness. had to come back. But I told the truth. And in fact, the current prime minister invited me back and was very thankful. Uh -huh. So I would say the risk has always been being true to science. And science has always been about the uncovering of truth and wherever that leads. Right. And I think one of the things, if you look at this country, the founders of this country were fundamentally scientists. That is true. Uh, innovators. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's a big distinction on where that led this country versus other countries. It was built on the notion of wanting to risk yourself for truth. So... I've, I've, I've consistently done that, and I've, I think it's important not to just be a scientist or an entrepreneur inventor in a lab, but to recognize you're also part of this larger ecosystem called society. Right, right. And we really need more scientists and people like that people who, to run for public office because they understand the Anyone who actually deals with nature's laws, be it a plumber or an electrician or an inventor or a scientist, um, they have a lot more uh, sense of reality than people who don't do that. And mm -hmm. I think it's important to have those kinds of people participating in public policy. Okay. So what what would you say the future looks like in the realm of all of your uh, entrepreneurship and your companies and the way that you view uh, these complex systems? And um, I'm just curious what, what you're like, big picture worldview is? Yeah, I think the big picture view I have is, uh, uh, I guess it's simple way to say is, be happy, be you. Let me explain what I mean by that. I think ultimately the march of humanity has been for freedom. You know, I'm an individual and I have a dream. You have a, you're an individual, you have a dream. And the march of humanity has been for that individual to eliminate those barriers individually and collectively to achieve that dream. So we went from slavery to serfdom to whatever you call a wage slave, right? So it's this concept of always moving forward. But one of the important aspects of that is to appreciate the individual uh, as an individual who has their particular dreams and their needs. Now, when it comes to medicine, the cool thing, I think, where we're at 
right now is medicine is moving towards that, the concept of the right medicine for the right person at the right time. No longer one size fits all. Right. And so I think the understanding of systems theory, complex systems, you can look at large complex networks and you can understand how to uh, affect those networks for that particular individual. So you understand the whole and its complexity, but you also start understanding how to personalize that to the individual. And I think that's ultimately where you look at where innovation and freedom come together. Mm-hmm. So Very that's cool. sort of the bigger picture that uh, that, yeah. uh, that turns me on. Yeah, that's cool. So what? In, in also in in that line of thinking, that what what advice do you give to young scientists or entrepreneurs? Um, what what's the one thing that you would tell them that they need to be you know remember? Yeah, I, I think the big thing is uh, it's sort of the, I think related to the earlier question you asked is basically to jump in and um, take risks and don't be afraid uh, of make, having failures because you learn a lot mm-hmm. from failing, but more importantly, you learn by actually doing and not theorizing. Right. And you know, every company that I started, when I look back, I look at all that because I didn't know what I didn't know is why I did those things. Right. Had I known, <laughs> exactly. what, uh, had I known, I would probably never have done something. So in some ways, it's good to jump into the uh, the darkness, exactly, and and in uncertainty because that's the adventure of life. And and you learn a lot. And if you don't do that, you probably won't do it. And you're not going to learn a lot of amazing uh, things that you should learn and have great experiences. Yeah. Um, I have one last question, and then we've got to wrap up. But um, so in uh, in the communications marketing world that I live in, and I I get all these newsletters that land in my inbox, and there's all these um, little blog posts and t- lists of things, and and all the time something that pops up all the time is it'll say like, "Is email dead?" And yeah. I'm like, "How?" I don't even know how we could live anymore without email. I, and and the idea that it's passe or that it's not I, I don't know that just it's a great question I just wrote a book that called the future of email uh-huh. and I talk in the first chapter of that book is email dead the problem is you know when the facts came out that I invented email about 10 years ago and when did the Smithsonian created this interesting controversy uh-huh. the reason it created the controversy was because uh, for two reasons first of all people thought email was text messaging email is actually the system inbox outbox folders all those things it's a conversion of the inner office mail system, right. which was the operating system of all business. It, simple text messaging is informal messaging, like little sticky notes. Right. So uh, in the book, what I talk about is that if people actually understood the origin of email, as long as there's business, email will exist. Okay. It's very different than text. So what's happened is every time since back in 78, when I created the first yeah. email system, the doctors would say, oh, no one's going to use this. They, right. they thought email was dead, <laughs> exactly. right? In 1993, when the web came, right. people said, oh, email's dead because of now text messaging. Right. And then when Facebook came, people said email's yeah. dead. They're, they're misunderstanding that email is business, formal business communications. Text messaging is informal. And these Facebook and these other things are community messaging. Right. It's three different types of mediums. So as long as there's business, email's going to be here. And a lot of these people, the experts who make these slogans, email's dead, Basically, they don't understand that email is the inner office mail system in electronic form. It's not text messaging. Right. And that's where a lot of this issue came from right. when, I, when the facts came out that a 14-year-old <laughs> kid invented email, which was he converted the electronic version exactly. of the inner office mail system. He wasn't yeah. doing simple text messaging like the military was. Right. That's not email. Email is a system 
as we know and use it today. Well, you've and we'll continue to use it as long as there's business. Because exactly. We, because email is a medium where we do contracts. Right. It's formal. It, you can issue warrants on it in some countries. It uses legal. It's a business communications medium. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm really glad that 14-year-old uh, thunk it up. So, well, I, <laughs> so it was it was an opportunity that could only have occurred in America. Right. But so I thank all the great things this country's done, and it, and it was done by the way in a medical institution which was about health and healing. Right. It wasn't done in, in, in the military-industrial complex. This is probably one of the most important things, which is known for starting war. Mm-hmm. We've been, f- for f- far too long, thought to believe that we go do war and we get innovation, when actually innovation occurs, in my view, trying to prolong life. Right. And that's where it occurred. Email came out of a medical institution. And with that, I think we'll take a pause. And um, I'll thank my guest, Dr. Shiva Ayadore, for being with us today. Uh, It was an interesting conversation. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It was wonderful. That's all for this episode. Be sure to listen next time for the latest in regenerative medicine. This podcast is a production of the Wake Forest Institute for Regenerative Medicine, part of Wake Forest Baptist Medical Center. For more information, visit our website at www.wakehealth.edu backslash WFIRM or follow us on Facebook and Twitter at WFIRM News.